0: Next, step number 725. E April
1: 29, 2022. Hi there, this is Susie from In His Shoes Ministries. Thanks for tuning into The Next Step with Father Vazgen. We are the Voice of Armidoxy, a weekly podcast started in 2008 that looks at life through the lens of Armenian Orthodoxy. If you're joining us for the first time, we're so glad you're here. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. In these weekly episodes, you will find that Father Voskin's messages are timely, thought-provoking, and based on the solid principles of Christ's love, faith, and hope. Now, let's get ready to take the next step.
0: Did you feel it or did you notice it? Did you notice that something has changed? Yeah, feeling is different. Did you feel it? Well, you feel earthquakes. We're used to that here in California. We feel earthquakes. Some of the big ones, too. I've rocked and rolled with some of the very, very big ones. Check out July 5th out in the desert. That was a big one. But um, no, think about it. Something has changed. And I'm very happy about this. And this change is usually, re- it's usually felt and noticed in hindsight. People will look back on it and they'll say, oh yeah, something did change. But I think this week things did change and I noticed it. I want to call it a paradigm shift. Uh, you know, like a fundamental change in the approach, in the approach, uh, how we look at things. And I've been talking about this for years and of course we are On the podcast after April 24th. And to me, April 24th is one of those days that is in a necessary fundamental need for complete radical, radical revolutionary change. It is the day on which we commemorate the Armenian Genocide. One and a half million Armenians slaughtered mercilessly by the Turkish government. Another million and a half, if not more, dispersed out, thrown out of their historic homeland, an event that is unparalleled in history. I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. People want to make comparisons and everything. It's not really fair, right? Because to each people, their tragedies. I mean, you know, it, when, you, when you're when you in these kind of numbers, I always find it uh, interesting when you say like one and a half million Armenians were were slaughtered at the hands of the Turks. And we'll say, somebody will come up and say, well, don't forget that the Holocaust happened with 6 million Jews. Yeah, and there was another 6 million people that were killed too, 12 million World War II. And then they come up with the statistics from Bosnia, from Rwanda, or from Ethiopia, and you've got these huge, huge numbers. I mean, does it really matter? I mean, think about it from a Christian perspective when Jesus says, you know, even if one... One sheep is lost. The good shepherd leaves the 99 behind and goes after that one lost sheep. Think about it. What are we talking about when we say one and a half million Armenians were slaughtered? Is it any less painful if a hundred people were slaughtered? Well, of course, it's not as magnificent of a crime, right? But still, the idea that a government wants to perpetuate a crime of genocide, that's the crime. It's not the numbers. It's the crime is that a government wants to annihilate a group of people. And that's what happened on April 24th. And we have this commemoration, which, again, took place just last weekend. You had people throughout the world and getting up. I'm Armenian, I feel the pain. My heels are not wound, my, my wounds are still open. I'm still feeling the pain. And young kids coming out with t shirts with obscenities against the Turkish people, and so on and so on. You, you read them and you go, Whoa, 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 <laughs> something's off here, right? Like, how do you what do, what do you do? You can you continue, and I think that this year. We had another. We had a, a major paradigm shift several years ago. And I think that this year was a really beautiful one. That's what I want to share with you today. I'm going to be talking a little bit about that. And I, by the way, i got a great song for you today. It's a little bit longer than usual. It's uh, my dear friend Greg Baylorian just came out with this incredible album. And it's going to be a jam. It's going to be a, it's called Greg Jam. And I'm gonna play a, a cut off of that album coming up uh, for our song of the day. But before I do that, let me let me talk let me talk about this paradigm shift because uh, I really feel like we went through one just this past weekend. And yeah, you don't usually notice them this quickly, but I did. And I woke up today and I said, this is it, you know, it it is a very, very good sign. But let me back up a little. What is that paradigm shift? It's, it's usually a fundamental change in the way you operate, the way you see things, the way you uh, you work through issues. Of course, there's the big ones, you know, the industrial revolution, when we went from those uh, independent, small little workers, and, and then the industries. And then, of course, the computer revolution, changing everything, the way we see things. Things of 2007, with the advent of the iPhone, Steve Jobs, the iPhone brought it against uh, again another major shift in the way we work, the way we strategize, the way we communicate with one another. Of course, the internet was there before that, you know, um, but it it gave us the tools with which to uh, to conquer that internet, you know, and to use it. And so you've got these small little shifts... And yes, arguably, you could say, are these really paradigm shifts? Yeah, they are, because they change the way in which you are reacting, in the way you are communicating, the way you are interacting. For instance, the nomads, you know, there there was a major shift when nomads got together and they started creating small little civilizations. And you had cities and you had townships, of course, which led to larger countries coming together and governments and so on and so on. These are major, major changes. But within history, you see these small little shifts. And I think we went through a few different ones. I think this is one of the big reasons why we as a generation today are faced with anxiety. The stability of life gets rocked. Okay. I mean, we have seen so much change. So much change. I mean when I think about my generation, I the defining moment in my generation for me was the day Kennedy was shot. I remember that day. November twenty second, nineteen sixty-three. I was seven years old. I remember it to this day. It was a day that changed everything. Not not only was the president shot, but it 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 took away our trust our trust in people, in government, because right in front of us, he was shot. The culprit, Oswald, was shot right in front of us on TV. And there was huge cover-ups. And you started saying, okay, wait a minute, you know. Maybe the government cannot be trusted the way we were trusting, and the paradigm shift is the way we approached government. And certainly, right after that, you had the Vietnam War, and you had an unpopular war. You had uh, President Nixon getting caught and his resignation, and bringing in people. So all of a sudden, government government became something from trusted. Completely untrusted, and now we had to rebuild. So yeah, there was a major paradigm shift. For me, that was a defining moment. Okay, my generation. What was what was the defining moment in your generation? I've asked this to a lot of different people of different age groups. I think one of them was the the Challenger um, disaster back in the eighties. I think another one, definitely for the younger group, um, is nine eleven to watch those Twin Towers come down in full view and watch it happen in real time, 2001. That, but again, it's a generational issue, right? There are many people, I would say 1995 and on, so up to 25 years old, who don't remember that. It's not. It wasn't a big deal. And so all of a sudden, believe it or not, something that was huge, like 9-11, huge, 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 is like, um, well, (laughs) something we have to explain, something you have to Google, which in the old times we'd go to our encyclopedia. Before that, you would go to your history book, you know. Think about all that has changed in just our short lifetime. And these are catastrophic events, huge events. Before me, you had Nagasaki and Hiroshima. You had the dropping of a, an atomic bomb on, you know, like 50,000 people annihilated in one moment. Boom, all gone. Yeah, yeah, just one bomb drops and it's gone. 1945, not too long ago, right? When you talk about an age of anxiety, when you talk about true anxiety in people, Think about all the changes that we are dealing with. Whereas, let's say, a hundred years ago, yes, there were many changes, but they were, not, uh, they were not so pronounced, primarily because there was no way of getting this information out. Right now, if somebody sneezes in New York, you know about it in, in Los Angeles. If somebody coughs in Moscow, you know about it in India. It, in other words, it's very quick. It's at the speed of light, at the speed of energy that information travels. And you appeal to your news source, whatever it may be, whether it's traditional, whether it's uh, new, digital, whatever it is, whatever news source you appeal to, it is packed with information that you have to sift through. And think about it. You know, what we used to have in the old days was called a newspaper, and the newspaper had an editorial board, and the editorial board would pick and choose what you get to read. Yeah. So if you were to read, let's say, a conservative digest, a newspaper, they would have editors that would pick out, these are the stories that we want to get across to you. And if you had a liberal or if you had whatever the, the, the political bend might be, these were the stories that we feel... Are important for you. And so they would sift through the thousands and thousands of news sources that were coming and they would give you in a concise little volume which we'd call the afternoon newspaper. And you'd get it and you'd get up-to-date. Now we have uh, television shows. That was the next thing, right? Television news. Basically in a half an hour somebody has decided that these are the news stories that you need in a half an hour whether you get that at 6:30 in the evening or you get that at 11:30 at night here's here's what we want to do let's not fool ourselves that you know when you when you say turn on the news or let's read a newspaper that this is all the news i and i think most people know that right you know that that's not all the news but somebody has selected that news and it's no different when we come to religion right especially Christianity, which I'll talk about because we're coming out of the Christian tradition. What we offer to the people, even as far as in the Bible, Jesus lived for three years. Everything he did was not recorded in, that, in those uh, th- four Gospels, right? In in fact, one of the evangelists says it. If everything were written that he did, you know, there wouldn't be enough room on this planet. To in other words, metaphorically speaking, that there was just a huge volume of stuff that he did. So we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who are giving us these accounts. These are basically editorialized. In other words, Matthew wrote to a Jewish audience. John was writing to a Greek audience, and they. They contoured the news. They got across the news that was important to their audiences. That's editorial privilege. And that's why there's names to it. That's why there are editors, and that's why there are names to the Gospels. So when you say the Gospel of John, and it starts with the idea of logos, a Greek concept, in the beginning was the word, the logos. Well, you know that, oh, he was writing to the to people who were fluent in uh, or not at least fluent in the language but at least understood the philosophical ideas that went behind it okay I don't want to get anybody upset about this because there's a lot, far more things to get upset about. By the way, last night it was great. I had a Bible study. I got a call from a few weeks ago from a priest out in Racine, Wisconsin and asked if I'd do a Bible study for their group about the book of Revelation. And uh, not one to walk away from a challenge like that. I said, "Of course I'll do it." And it was really interesting because at the end of it, we had one of the uh one of the ladies who was on that Bible study. She says, "I never thought of it that way. I never thought about the second coming in the terms that you you presented." And it that to me was like mission accomplished, okay? It's not that I have to present to you the answer. I have to present to you information so that you can think about it, so that you can struggle with it, so it can be a challenge for you, so you can take it and kind of like chew on it a little bit and let it be something for you to say, I had never thought about it in those terms. Let me think about it in those terms. And so it was with the Armenian genocide. When it came up in my life for the last 60 plus years, And, you know, I was there from the very beginning, 1965, on the 50th anniversary of the Armenian genocide. That's when Armenian genocide commemorations really got into full gear. It was then that the the country of Uruguay became the first country to recognize the Armenian genocide. Ironically, just this week, I think um, some Turkish leader was visiting. There was protests. Uruguay, the first country to accept the Armenian Genocide as as a genocide, to recognize it. Um, Okay, think about it now. Um, 1965, you're there. This Saturday night... April 23rd, I ended up at the monument. My son called me and he said, Dad, why don't you guys come over? We went over. The kids were there and we said, "It is late Saturday night. This is a cool story, okay? Saturday night, it's April 23rd. And I know that our AYF kids always, this is the Armenian Youth Federation, um, the kids every April 23rd, they go to the monument and they watch guard over it. I, I think it's a beautiful tradition. They, they stand at the Montebello Monument. Oh, the Monumental Monument. You all know about that, right? And in case you don't, it's the first and I think still the only Arme- uh, monument to the Armenian genocide that is constructed on, uh, on city property, on government property. Yeah, it's in the town of Montebello uh that's here in southern california yeah and i was very honored proud to be a part of that because my dad was on the committee and so i gonna tell you in a minute that 1965 we were there when they first started my dad was on the committee they'd go to committee meetings so saturday night this saturday night 2022 Uh, We're with the family and we said, you know, let's run over to the monument. We'll take the kids. It's the new generation. I mean, they're two years old, one year old, zero years old, actually six months old. Let's take the new generation over to the monument. You know, in other words, isn't this the greatest thing that you can do on April 24th is to say you tried to kill us and look, we're showing up with the people you tried to kill that weren't allowed to live, you know. So uh, we got in the car and we went, it's about 10 o'clock at night, and we run down to the monument. And um, by that time, the kids were asleep. So uh, two of my sons and I, we went up to the monument, we placed our flowers, and then somebody stopped me. This is like very Twilight Zone-y, I got to tell you. Uh, This guy just like stops me. And he he recognized me. He says, did you speak here? I go, yeah, it was me. I spoke there. It turned, we figured it out, it was seven years ago on the 99th anniversary of the Armenian genocide. And he started to recount that story that I told at the monument. And he told me about the the speech and what it meant to him especially about the story of Rwanda, that we were taking ourselves outside of the Armenian experience and sharing our genocide with others and understanding the pain of others. And all of a sudden, here we are in front of the Armenian monument. I'm standing there with my next generation of kinfolk. And here's a stranger who's coming out of, and it was kind of very, like I said, twilight zone in that. It wasn't foggy. It wasn't like casablanca But, you know, it was a, It was enough to be kind of like Eerie, a random guy coming up and telling me about something that I that had stuck in his mind for the last seven years. And this was interesting. At the very end, we shook hands and I said, and your name. And he didn't want to tell me his name. And I I go, I wonder why, you know, at the end he did. (laughs) No need to worry, but he did tell me. But it was a very, very odd meeting in the middle of the night. I felt good because something had stuck with him. Something from seven years ago had stuck with him. It was a story that I had shared on the steps of the monument to the it was a public gathering that night. So I, I left the monument that night very fulfilled that, you know, wow, you know, people are getting it there was something that people were latching on to. They were, they were picking up on. And it was an emotional night. Like I said, there's the eeriness of the night and that twilight zone activity that's going on. The monument itself, you know, standing up erect with the lights on it. And there's like this small little bowl with a flame going and we put our flowers down, we said our prayers, we walked away, my dad's name up there as part of that committee, and reflections for me about the last, you know, 50, 60 years of remembrances. 1965, when they first started that committee, 1968, I was standing out there with my my sister, we had like these little buttons they gave to all the kids committee members' kids, and we were, we were um, entrusted with walking around and putting buttons on the lapels of people while we had a small little bag there for their donation. It was actually a, a plexiglass um, box, I remember it. So people would put their donations in there for the small little lapel pin that we would give to them. So you're talking about this is how we fundraised for this monument. And I was there, you know, it's like a reality in my life. And, you know, through the years, I've seen these many, 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 many different ways of remembering. But it was somewhere back in my Cupertino years that thing's changed. I'm looking at the clock we're going to take our break right now and when we come back we're going to go for the first paradigm shift, okay, which takes place and then I'm going to share with you what happened this year and why we should feel really excited because something very very exciting happened this year which changed the way we are functioning and I'm hoping that it's going to catch on. Okay, I promised you some great music here and here it is. I'm here to deliver. This is uh, my dear friend Gregory Bidlirian. This is with a group he calls Greg Jam, as the name suggests. It's a jam featuring Norik Manukia. Enjoy. in the name of that selection—that's off of a new double album by Gregory Baylerian, with uh, featuring Nordic Manu It is called Highland Revolution. Yeah, it's a uh, Greg Jam. It's the entire group, and which was still being changed. But it is a jam. It is a jam session. And I got to be honest with you—I picked that selection out of all of them. It was relatively the shortest piece, so I picked it. Because of it, uh, the number of minutes, and I realize some of you listen to the next step in different environments in passing, and it is very meditative, isn't it? Isn't the music meditative? And I didn't want you guys to succumb to any accidents or anything like that if you were driving. Because uh, it, it can take you places. I've put this on for the since Gregory gave me a copy of of the album a couple weeks ago. I've been enjoying it. The, all of the pieces, all of the selections, very meditative. They they have the an ability to transform and to take you into places. And some great, great names. That one was called "Back to the Runes. How about this one, "Armenian Cowboy"? Hmm, interesting, huh? Moonflower kind of know where that one's coming from, right? The celebration, Masis, Vartanimor Vokhberg, the the sorrow of, of the mother of Vartan, Midnight Caravan, just beautiful, beautiful. I mean, when you listen to these songs and you put them in context with the, with the words of the title, you start You start imagining and visualizing different ideas. Anyway, this album, I will have a link on today's show notes. It is available just about everywhere you get your good music. And I hope you enjoyed it. Back to our show. Talking about the shift, (laughs) the paradigm shift, how things change, the way we perceive things, the way we function. Um, And you know, we, we usually think about this as part of evolution, and as we evolve. And uh, anthropologically, sociologically, different ways that evolution takes place. Yeah, there will be changes that take place. And when you think about uh, paradigm shifts, you want to think about that the evolutionary process is playing out. But there are also small little areas where you kind of like de-evolve too, right? I mean, just think about the last 20 years. Yes, just over the last two decades. And I remember it was 2005. Um, I was invited to be one of the speakers at USC, the University of Southern California, where they were going to be honoring His Holiness, the Catholicos of all Armenians, His Holiness the II. He had come to Southern California, and there was a conference, and I was one of the speakers. And I had a, this incredible honor to be able to speak about globalism and the Armenian Church. To to an audience with His Holiness there. Globalization. And my dear, dear friend, and my in, in, in many ways a mentor, and my parishioner, uh, Dr. Harar Dekmedjan, was also a speaker. And he spoke about the effects by, by profession. Of course, he is a political scientist. And he spoke about the the effects of globalism and what it means to the Armenian church on a macro level as well, laying out a plan for the Armenian Church. And we were talking about this in very, very real terms. In fact, you know what, making a note right now, you check out the the show notes today. I will have a link to that conference and to what it meant, what we what we spoke about, the papers that we delivered that day. They're all documented, okay? And There was hope. For me, there was hope because, uh, you know, growing up in the 60s, the 70s, and then you got someone like Dr. King uh, always quoting, you know, uh, John Donne's, no man is an island unto himself, and that, that we are all interconnected as people, right? There was hope. And you would say, yes, that's an evolutionary process. And what happens over the last five, six years, right? I, I, I want to, I'll say it, yeah, it's de, de-evolution. As we went more towards populism. As we went more towards, well, this is my country and you stay out of it. I will take care of it. Instead of seeing ourselves as uh, citizens of the world, we were citizens back of our own bordered countries. And, of course, we see what's going on right now. Where what Pope Francis refers to as fracturized Fratricide, the killing of brothers. Many, many times Pope Francis has referred to what's going on in Ukraine as um, fratricide. In other words, he referenced Cain and Abel, the killing of brothers. And, you know, of course, you've got the Ukrainians and the Russians, brothers. But when you really think about it, any war, any war in this world... Is fratricide. We're all brothers. But that de evolution has happened, right? We've gone backwards into thinking that we are all different people. And of course, with that comes the racism, comes the, the intolerance, and so on and so on. Okay, so we're talking about paradigm shifts for the Armenian Genocide. 1990, 1980, 80s it was in Cupertino after doing this whole thing every year April 24th I we I realized that we have to do something different and I started a, a blood drive back in Cupertino we got the um the red cross to come out back in the 80s yeah To me, that was the first original paradigm shift, because we started thinking about, well, April 24th has to be about, not about us talking about ourselves, because we really can't talk about ourselves too much more, because there is a value in remembering your history, but the greater value is remembering that history and sharing it with the world. So how do you share it? How do you make the Armenian Genocide into something that is something that people will want to listen to? In fact, it, it, the the movie that came out a few years ago, The Promise, that I think that movie did it exactly that way. How do you get somebody to spend money? Just think about this: How do you get somebody to go into a theater to buy a ticket and watch a movie about genocide? Why Why would somebody want to do that, right? And you know this. this I first saw this when I saw the movie Reds. How are you going to get somebody? We went and saw the movie Reds back in the 70s. And when I left the theater, I said, wow, I paid money to get a history lesson. Because you're watching this love story unfold. And at the end of it, you've learned about the Russian Revolution. And so it was with the promise. You're sitting there. You're sitting there and you're watching it. And you realize, hey, I'm getting a lesson But I'm getting a lesson because I'm watching this love story. I'm watching a real story that's unfolding. And that's really the biggest challenge that we have today. When I talk about paradigm shift, it's not just about shifting the way we do business. It's shifting the way we do business for a a purpose. You want to get this message out. You can't continue the way you're doing it. And so in the 1980s, what we did is we started doing blood drives. And the first year, I can't remember, it, must probably, it was probably about 10 of us. Second year, it was about 20, and I met my dear friend uh, from up north, Rupin, who we got to be friends, and we built an Armenian bulletin board system. And then the next shift was coming to Los Angeles, 1997, for me. 1997, uh, again, I'll go back to my uh, mentored and dear friend, uh, Dr. Dekmejian, who invited me to come to USC to be the chaplain for the Armenian students. And there we said, okay, these same principles that we were using in Cupertino, can we make them work on a broader scale? Of course, we were now in the Southern California arena and we had this new theater in which to, to try these different, um, different programs. And so we tried the, the blood drive. And that first year that we did the blood drive, I want to say it was something like 300, 300 lives that we saved through the blood that, we drove, that we, we drove. Yeah, we drove, right? It was a blood drive, so we drove it. Okay, don't look at me like that. I, I know what I'm saying. And we drove the first blood drive, 1997, in Southern California. And uh, we did that with the Red Cross. And I'll never forget, because we were under so much criticism by the Armenian community. Like, this is April 24th, you've got to go up and you got to do the usual thing about protest, protest, and so on and so on. And what are you doing about blood drive? They loved it at first, Armenian community leaders, I should say, not the community, the leaders of the traditional, uh, traditional groups. They loved it at first because we're getting blood, and if Armenians need it, I said, wait, no, 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 no. We are giving this blood to the Red Cross blood bank. To which they immediately protested. What do you mean, to the blood bank? This should be Armenian blood, it should go to Armenian people. I said, no, it's going to the blood bank. In other words, for everybody. Ooh, the criticism. Because the paradigm shift hadn't taken place. The criticism was immense because technically a Turk who needed blood could walk into the blood bank and ask for that blood and they would give it to him. Can you imagine? I could imagine it and I loved it. And I told them, What's a greater payback than a Turk walking around with Armenian blood? Whoa! Is this what is the ultimate Christian message? Love your enemies? Wow. Think about it for a moment, right? We went under so much criticism, but we did it. We did it. But the, my my greatest moment of triumph was April 25th, because that year, it was the, uh, I think it was LA Times, yeah, had covered the Armenian genocide for many, many years. And that day, <laughs> we had the editorial page. That's what made it for me, Right. There was absolutely no mention of the few thousand people that walked down Hollywood Boulevard or wherever it was. But the editorial said, look at the Armenians who are giving blood on the day that blood was taken from them against their will. Today they are giving their will, their blood of their own free will to help others. Okay. Okay. This is the shift, okay? Yes, make the motion. You have shifted gears now. You are in a new place. You are traveling. You are doing good. Because now you are getting the attention of other people through the good actions. Not by raising more guns or more fists, but by doing the work that you're supposed to be doing. Namely, spreading love into this world. 1997, that was the big one the following year, the following year we we had great, great turnouts because people saw that it was possible and uh, it continued and then somewhere along the way it got a little bit cutesy but we brought it over to the Glendale Youth Ministry Center and continued the the blood drives but being a restless person that I am, you can't stay you, you, you can't deal with that all the time so we continued and everything but this year what happened well, actually, it was in reaction to what happened last year. You know, we were sitting at a at an April 24th event, and there's been, we well, we know what's going on in our church, right? But you don't know what's going on, and this is the one day that everybody gets together. And you got, like, different church leadership getting up, and they're talking about the same old, same old. And there's nobody listening. There's a handful of, you know, Armenians that are sitting there and applauding the same message which we've heard. You go out on the streets, and there's the big protest, and it's basically the Armenians clapping for themselves. You've got the political leaders standing up and promising you something that they. (laughs) Well, it's not that they can't deliver. They don't need to deliver. When you get the mayor of a town, whether it's Montebello or Glendale, promising you that we cannot tolerate genocide, genocide won't happen. That's nothing they're going to deliver. There's no genocide going on. I mean, if they're really, really concerned about it, wouldn't they be doing something about the drug issues? about the speeding that is killing their children right on their streets I mean isn't that a silent genocide but they don't care about that they're basically getting up and showcasing and standing up and saying you know genocide can't be tolerated the Turks will pay for this yeah you know as a mayor you're not bringing Turkey to justice okay and these kind of things are just basically showcasing so that people start applauding and people say oh this is great you know Good for them. We love our man. <laughs> and I'm very, very thankful because I was able to talk to our Archbishop Hovnan and I said, Sir Paul on our Archbishop, we need to change this. And uh, what we did is we came up with a new idea. On April 24th, how about baptizing? Yeah. Oh, wait, 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 wait. No, I'm not talking about kids. The Archbishop has been really adamant about this. You know, during the Soviet Union, baptisms were not, not as much as Armenia is the first Christian nation. Not everybody was baptized. In fact, vast majority of Armenians of those generations during the Soviet Union were left unbaptized because you just couldn't do it. As a seminarian, I remember at night, families would bring in their children to Etchmiadzin get them baptized silently, quietly, because the communists wouldn't allow it or not wouldn't allow it, but they wouldn't want it. You couldn't advance in the party. That was the basically the party line. So there was generations and the archbishop's been really eager in in baptizing them. So he said, you know, let's let's start someplace. As modest as it is, let's start someplace and let's make April 24th the day we baptize. We have mass baptism. So he put out an invitation and a modest number of people came out. And these would be elderly people, people who have never been baptized to come and the church stands in as their godparent. And they were baptized during the Divine Liturgy Sunday. And people saw it with, it was just beautiful. Now, I'm going to put a link on today's show notes to two things. One of them is the press coverage about it. And the other one is to the to the entire service as it is. If you have time, you can watch it. Do check out our show notes today. It'll be filled with references to everything that I talked about today. But um, here's the point. At the end of it, what happened? You have a new way of thinking, a new way of approaching, that April 24th is a day for new life, a new beginning, a new life in Jesus Christ through the baptism of the Holy Font. And you think about that for a moment. This is one thing that escapes a lot of people. The Armenian reality, when I talk about armadoxy and whatever your ethnic makeup is that this is not about ethnic makeup. It's about spirituality at the gut level, at the root level. When you talk about armadoxy, what are you talking about? You're talking about apostolic, not Bible based but Jesus- based as the apostles were. They didn't have a Bible. They had Jesus. That's what an apostolic church is. Jesus is at the center. and Everything that he talks and he shares is now open for us to take and enjoy. That's what came to Armenia and became the apostolic church. And Unlike other places, which were influenced by all kinds of ideas, Armenia was kind of like nestled in a small little area, which didn't get all that outside um, uh, influence. So you got kind of like this pure little Armido- Armenian orthodoxy. But now, bring it to today, this is what I call armadoxy, right? Okay, this armodox idea is ripe for the picking right now. And it needs new people to share in it. And that's what's coming out right now. Armenian Orthodoxy for the masses. Not for the Armenian people alone, but for everybody. And this is the paradigm shift. That we can now find within Armenian Orthodoxy a way of living our lives in faith, in the promise of God, but also in harmony with everyone around us. Not picking the fights, but standing up for justice, standing up for goodness, and being the example through our actions and our devotions to that gospel message. And this year, like I said, this Sunday, I want you to watch the the news coverage and tell me if you don't get a a lump in your throat or if a tear doesn't come down your eye there were people who were baptized who never had the opportunity and today they on the day that the Turks said that there would be no Armenian left on this planet except one in a museum on that day Armenian Miron was poured upon the head of these children children of, of the church Who became the new Christians. New Armenian life. On a day that life should have ended. That. That is the celebration. And that celebration is the shift that we make. Not mourning. But standing up. And saying that this is the faith. This is the faith that rocked us. And this is the faith that I have today. Yeah. Yeah. It is something that you feel. I felt it, okay? Just like an earthquake. But if you don't feel it, at least take a note of it. That the shift has been made and you just lived through one this past weekend. All right, I'm going to do it for today. I'll be back after Susie makes her announcement, okay?
1: Before getting back to The Next Step with Father Vazgen, I'd like to take this opportunity to remind you that this ministry is supported through the heartfelt donations of listeners like you. Thanks for keeping us in your prayers and partnering with this expanding and dynamic outreach. The Next Step is entering homes and communities with a solid message proclaiming God's message of love, forgiveness, and compassion. We look forward to your comments and words of encouragement. Please consider partnering in this dynamic ministry by making a contribution. By pressing on the donate button on our website, you can set up automatic donations either weekly, monthly, or annually. Your donation goes a long way in furthering this ministry. Even more, tell your friends and family by sharing the Next Step link or website with them. We're on iTunes and Blueberry as well as Facebook and Twitter. We are excited about this ministry and invite you to share in our enthusiasm. This is Susie wishing you all of God's blessings in your life. We now return to the next step with Father Vosgen.
0: Thank you, Susie, and thank you all of you for all of the wonderful comments we've been getting. I know, did you notice we started a new TikTok account? It's called The Elevator Priest. And I hope you're enjoying it. I am. (laughs) I'm just a content creator, but I'm I'm just enjoying watching this kind of like start to flower and mushroom. It is on TikTok. It's available a few places. I really don't know how it all works, but it is exciting. These are small little clips that are made inside of an elevator, as the name suggests. Imagine uh, walking into an elevator and getting an answer by the time you get to your floor. The Elevator priest, that's the newest addition to the apostle family.
1: Apostle.net, apostolic evangelism for an electronic and expanding universe.
0: Actually, there's going to be a lot of new additions, a lot of new things coming up, and I'm gonna. I've been sharing this with you for several weeks, if not months now. There's some great news just right around the corner. I'm waiting for the right time, and I'm going to be sharing with it first and foremost with you, my listeners on the next step. I want to thank you for joining me and believing in this ministry with your support and of course with your very, very dear and earnest prayers. Thank you. I feel all of them. Uh, this weekend, we will be around We're, next few weekends. I'm going to be at the cathedral and I hope to see you if you're in the Los Angeles area. Those of you joining us throughout the world, I want to thank you for uh, all of the wonderful notes and messages you sent me sometimes I do need to check with the um, if you can write in English that would be great okay let me say it that way <laughs> otherwise I'm running them through Google Translate and I, they're very pretty thank you very much okay that does it for this week's next step I hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed producing it for you you can get in touch with us by dropping a line at feedback at epostle.net That's apostolic evangelism for an electronic and expanding universe. On behalf of Susie, our producer, and myself, Father Voskin, I look forward to seeing you
1: next week when we will take the next step. And now here's the fine print. The information and comments presented within this podcast and our website do not necessarily represent the views of the Armenian church hierarchy, but are presented as a challenge to define the dynamics of Armenian orthodoxy in all aspects of life. Listening to these shows is habit-forming. Addictive behavior associated with the next step is rarely, if ever, remedied. Rather, the next step is known to relieve and cure common cases of narrow-mindedness, prejudice, numbskulledness, and glaucoma in patients over the age of 20. Results may vary depending on credit rating. Findings are based on double-blind studies conducted in Istanbul and Jerusalem. Side effects include mind expansion, clarity of focus, higher rates of heart palpitations, sensitivity to the pain of others, and occasional nausea. Demandment and projection crew Epostle.net take full responsibility for changes you will experience. Not valid with any other offer. Epostle.net, apostolic evangelism for an electronic and expanding universe. I forgot
2: to ask you if uh, you you're seeing the same sky as we are. Uh, bye.